0: Welcome to Romans Untangled, the podcast where we take a seemingly difficult book of the Bible and untangle it so that we can enjoy its beauty. Season 1, Episode 11, The Truth About Karma, Romans 2, 5-11. through 11. If the scales of justice are how we are judged on the great judgment day, how will we fare? Are we judged by our deeds? Hey everyone, this is Pastor Steve Treichler, Minneapolis, Minnesota, from Hope Community Church. It is so fun to see more and more of you uh, coming back to church. Uh, if you don't go to Hope, I encourage you as soon as you are able. And I know for different people with this uh, pandemic, uh, there's different timings on that. I don't want to. I don't want to. I'm not judging here, but man, to get the opportunity to see each other face to face is such an important thing, and and glad to see so many. Of you, hey! This uh, in this season we have been looking at every single week. We've been starting off by doing some type of Bible study tool. In other words, a way for you to understand Scripture. So you might be brand new to the Bible, or perhaps you're an old pro. I just want to give you a few more tools in your tool chest here as you look at examining Scripture. Today, I want to talk about context. In other words. Not just looking at a single verse, and that's important, right? It's important to look at the tree, but in order to do that effectively, you kind of have to look at the forest. So I want to, today the, the Bible study tool is context is king. Context is king. As we're trying to understand what's going on here, the context of what's happening is really, really important. Let me give you an example so that you can understand this well. In the book of 1 Corinthians, The Apostle Paul has a very famous passage, and it is read often at weddings, and it's the love chapter, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is patient, love is kind, right? It goes on and on, and it's a wonderful thing. It is very interesting, though, when you look at the context, and it doesn't lose its meaning about love, but it expands it and actually gives you kind of a framework. You have to look at what's going on in 1 Corinthians, In the book of 1 Corinthians, there's a bunch of things Paul wanted to talk to them about, and then he's going to go into things that they wanted to talk about. They had written him a letter, which we don't have, and it's a list of things. And he, he uses this phrase, now about. And whenever he says now about, that's because they had questions about these things, and he was writing. So he starts off in chapter 12, and he says, now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant right he goes on and on then to talk about spiritual gifts if you go to chapter 12 verse 7 he says now to each one the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good that's probably the best possible definition of what a spiritual gift is in all the bible it's a it's a manifestation of god's spirit it's given to us it's given to each one of us and it's not given for your own benefit it's given for the common good. It's given for the benefit of others, especially the church. There's a, every kind of people have different kinds of gifts, right? And he goes on and on. He's going to talk about different different uh, types of gifts and then how we need to value each other's gifts and value our own gifts and all those kind of things. Comes to the end of chapter 12 and he says this, and now I will show you the most excellent way. And then he's going to go and start in chapter 13. And he says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, which is a spiritual gift, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, another spiritual gift, and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith, and by this faith, he means the gift of faith. I have a, a supernatural ability to really believe God for huge things. And if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, so in other words, I have this spiritual gift of being able to really be a giver, right, and surrender my body to the flames, uh, that'd be the gift of martyrdom, but have not love, I gain nothing. And then this is where the passage comes in. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs, right? It goes on and on. Then we get into chapter 14. If you follow through this, and he says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. And he's gonna go on in chapter 14 to talk about this prophetic gift where you're able to expound God's word or you're able to speak the words of God to the people in the church. In other words, this, what the love chapter is kind of a sandwich here between verses 12 and 14, which are clearly talking about spiritual gifts. And that's our abilities. That's the things we bring to the table, to our fellowships. That's what we are able to volunteer and the way we're able to move into different people's lives. And there's whole kinds of all kinds of spiritual gifts. However, in that, he says, what makes them work, what makes spiritual gifts work is not how good you are or how good of a musician you are, or how good of a uh, church administrator you are, or how good of a preacher you are, what makes them really work is love. Love is what is key to all the spiritual gifts working. Now, of course, the chapter means what you what you maybe is you heard it at weddings or whatever, but it means so much more when you look at it in its context. Remember, context is king. All right, let's get into our our. Our topic for today, Romans 2, verses 5 through 11. I want to kind of remind you where we've been very briefly. Uh, we, we looked at chapter 1. We saw that in, the, in verses 16 and 17, the theme, and I'm, I'm not going to read those again, but I did for several weeks. Uh, the righteousness of God is being revealed in the gospel. And then in verse 18 and following, it talks about the wrath of God being revealed. And it's uh, it's going through what, what led to God's wrath being revealed against sinlessness and godlessness of people as they reject God, they suppress the truth, right? Okay, and then it had a whole list of different things, all kinds of, uh, lists of all kinds of different kinds of sins, sexual sin and jealousy and envy and murder and deceit and dishonesty and complete disobedience to parents and on and on, right? And so a person might read that list and then say, well, that's somebody else. And that brings us to last week's passage where it says, you therefore have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. So on and on here, he's going and saying, listen, if you think this, I'm not talking about you, I am. Remember, we went through that whole thing of scripture where, Basically, the, the theme of scriptures to show us that we're sinners and that every one of us level ground before the cross of Jesus Christ. There's there's no one who's better or worse. We're all sinners. Now, that of course there are things that are have more consequence and are, are more evil than 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 not. I, I get that. But at the same time, I can't look down on anyone on planet Earth. If I truly understand who I am, I do the same things, maybe not to the magnitude and maybe not to the frequency but I do the same things. Okay. So that brings us to this week. What he's trying to say here is because you probably, some people, and again, the you here is just a you in general. It's not even speaking necessarily to the people who are reading this. It's just a you in general. And he says, we tend to, when we hear about other people, we think they're bad, we're good. And Paul is trying to communicate something different. So now let's read through we're going to read it through, we're going to walk it through, and then we're going to answer one big question, okay? So let me read it through. Verse 5, I'm going to read in the New American Standard Bible this time, just to kind of shake things up, and you'll see how it's a beautiful version, but it's awfully wooden. It's hard to read. But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each person according to his deeds. And that's a quote. It's all in capitals in this version. It's a quote from the Old Testament. We'll talk about that in a minute. To those who by perseverance in doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath, and indignation. There will be tribulation tribulation, and distress for every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first, but also of the Greek. But glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. Okay, in that last verse, no partiality with God, that's what we're going to hit on next week, okay? That's the, the big thing that's going to pick up and in verse 12 of chapter two here. So let's kind of walk through this again. He's saying that because of our stubbornness, unrepentant hearts, we are actually storing up wrath for judgment day. And on judgment day, there's a quote from the Old Testament here. And this is a quote uh, from Job 34, 11, uh, which where it says, he repays everyone for what they have done he brings on them what their conduct deserves or psalm 62:12 it could be and with you lord is unfailing love and your reward you reward everyone according to what they have done or it could be from proverbs 24:12 if you say but we knew nothing about this does not he who weighs the heart perceive it does not he who guards your life know it will he not repay everyone according to what they have done or a couple of verses from jeremiah Jeremiah 17, verse 10, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve, or in chapter 32, verse 19 of Jeremiah, speaking to the Lord, and he says, great are your purposes and mighty are your deeds. Your eyes are open to the ways of all mankind. You reward each person according to their conduct and as their deeds deserve okay? So he's quoting from the Old Testament here, and he's saying you're, gonna, you're, you're going to be judged here according to your deeds, okay? That's the big question we're going to come. You're going, what? Wait a minute. This, this, is this a Christian church? Wait a minute. What's going on here? Okay. Then he says, to those who by perseverance in doing good, you seek for glory and honor and immortality, you're going to get eternal life, but to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath, and indignation, there'll be tribulation and distress for those. But there'll be glory and honor and peace to those who do good, both to the Jew and to the, the Greek. Okay, so that's kind of our passage, what's going on there. And you might be asking, what is going on here? What What is Paul saying? Is he is he actually saying that you're going to be judged according to your deeds? That's that's what this sounds like and you need to do good. Well, that would seem to defy what he's going to say later. So a lot of, a lot of ink has been spilled here, right? In fact, Jesus highlights it as well, same concept in Matthew chapter 16. We me it's verse 27, but let me quote it starting in verse 25. He says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the son of man is going to come in his father's glory with his angels, okay? So this is speaking of the great judgment day, and then he will reward each person person according to what they have done, or according to their deeds, as the, the version I just read would say, right? Okay, so what is going on here? What is the Apostle Paul trying to say? He's saying, uh, he, 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 he w- 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 are you trying to say that this is a real theoretical possibility, that people could do good, and they seek for glory and honor and immortality, and then they would get eternal life. Are you, Are we saying that? Uh, if you just do good? Or is he trying to say that's what some people would hold? Others would say, no, this is just an impossible thing. Uh, It's put out there. Yes, of course, if you do good, you'll get these things, but it's impossible. Or the other argument is, yeah, this is just describing what the Christian is like. A Christian is someone who comes to faith in Jesus Christ and then uh, they are already saved. They are already uh, found not guilty on Judgment Day, but their behavior will look a certain way so that that they they will, uh, you know, this is just describing the Christian. And as attractive as that one is, I don't think the context allows it whatsoever. That doesn't even make any sense. Um, I'm going to lean personally I'm gonna lean into the the first uh, no, excuse me, the one that says it's basically impossible, and that that not that it's impossible, uh, like it's very possible that if you do this, you will live, right? What I'm gonna argue is that context is king, right? this This doesn't make sense in his whole argument. now, we haven't done a whole lot of this. I'm going to take you a little bit ahead in the book. I'm going to spoiler alert here. <laughs> I imagine Paul, when he wrote this letter, people read it and they got to the good stuff in Romans three verses twenty one to uh, uh, verses twenty one to uh, let me see here I get uh, thirty one. That's the good stuff. They're going to get there in about ten minutes when they read it. For us, it's going to take. You're not even going to get to the good stuff until the fall uh, for season two. So. <laughs> So, but I need you to see this, so you'll understand the context of what's happening here. Okay, what's this whole section about before he gets to the good news, which is going to start in chapter three, verse twenty-one? By the way, if 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 all season all season one, we're not even going to get to the good news. Uh, we're going to do fifteen episodes. This is episode number eleven, uh, and I might do a bonus episode. I talked about that about the the Old Testament. That the thing going on here is. That uh, if you find yourself just like, this is a drag. (laughs) This is such a bummer, man. Why do I listen to this podcast? It just keeps telling me how much of a sinner I am, and it's going to go all the way up. Go ahead. You can can read ahead in the Bible. Read verses 21 to 31 of the end of chapter 3, because it'll blow you away. It's so beautiful. But it's mostly beautiful because you understand what goes on in chapter 1, verse 18, to 3, verse 20. Now let's just let's look at the bookends of these, of that section, right? There's a big the bad news section, right? Chapter three, verse eighteen, all the way to three. No, excuse me, chapter one, verse eighteen, all the way to chapter three, verse twenty. Chapter one, verse eighteen. Let me remind you: the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth, right? And he goes through that whole list of what they do. Chapter two then says, if you look down on those people because you don't think you're them, guess what? You're them. You're now proud. You're now arrogant. You think you're better than others. You're included in that. Paul's argument here that he's gonna do all the way through this is he's gonna, if you think you're an exception to the, to the I'm not a sinner thing, I'm okay, he's gonna systematically Go right through you, and 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 go right through all of your argumentation, and tell you no. You need Jesus Christ. You need a savior. You're a sinner. There is no loophole. He's going to tighten every single loophole like a like a legal disclaimer or something. Aha! You know you didn't read me my Miranda rights. I'm free. You know there, he's going to just do whatever he can here to. To, to To take those things and stop them. But so that by the time we get to chapter three, verses 19 to 20, he's gonna say this, and I'm gonna quote it. He says, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. It's very key that you see what's going on here. He says what? So that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. There's no exceptions here, right? Except for one, Jesus Christ. He actually did do verse uh, chapter uh, chapter two, verse uh, seven, to those who by perseverance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. And then he also follows that up uh, in in verse 10, by glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good right? That was Jesus. There's none of the rest of us, okay? Then it goes to verse 20, because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Now, there's no way that he can say that he can possibly mean in verses, uh, this in this section, to those who by perseverance in doing good, if you do that, You're in, you're gonna get eternal life. Because what he says here in chapter 3, verse 20 is, because by the works of the law, the things that I do, there's a whole variety of things. We're gonna spend time talking about that phrase, works of the law. But it basically means I'm doing the do's, I'm not doing the don'ts. Uh, If you were a person of Israel, it meant being part of that cultural. uh, There's a bunch of cultural things, Sabbath laws, uh, uh, food. you know, other circumcision and things like that, right? Temples, temple sacrifices. But if you're outside of that, there was, there was other ways. I'm doing the do's and I'm don't doing the don'ts, right? Because by that, he says, no flesh, no one will be justified in his sight because through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So what's his point here then? Why say this? It's such a confusing thing then. What's he doing here? Well, I think he wants you to know what the judgment day is the judgment day the reality of judgment day is that you will be judged according to your deeds we are going to stand before god and be accountable for the deeds on our record every single one in other words karma is very true what what comes around goes around right you do you do bad and bad thing will happen absolutely true. God is just. And he's trying to make it very clear here that, yeah, if you do good, you're in. But guess what? Only one person has ever done good. And you can take a guess, but it's not you. (laughs) Uh, First letter, J. Second letter, Jesus. Jesus did it, right? Let me quote from the great theologian and Irish rocker Bono. He says it this way, and it was out of a book uh, called In Conversation with Bono. He says this. He says, you see, at the center of all religions is the idea of karma. You know, what you put out comes back to you. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Or in physics, in physical laws, every action is met by an equal or an opposite one. It's clear to me that karma is at the very heart of the universe, okay? That is true, 100%. We are going to be judged by our deeds. You need to hear that loud and clear. I think especially if you grew up in the church, you have never, you maybe never heard that, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, we're going to be judged by works. We're going to be judged by the works, that, that we're going to be judged by our deeds, we're going to be judged by our actions on our record. wait a minute then, what does that mean? How does that work with Christ? Well, 2 Corinthians 5.21 makes it clear. And just listen to this amazing verse. It's actually one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. It says, God made him, that was Jesus. God made Jesus who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Now, there's that phrase again, the righteousness of God, right? And it's the same exact phrase we have here. And it says that God made him who had no sin, Christ, he did everything right. He was judged according to his deeds and he was found found innocent. He was found the one that would, would achieve eternal life. He did all 613 Old Testament laws. He covered it all. But it says that because of that, he went to the cross and he actually took our sin. He took the deeds that we're accountable for upon himself. But then it goes on to say, so that in him, when we're in him, for anyone who's trusted Jesus Christ, if you're in him, we might become the righteousness of God, the justice of God. We might now get the works of Jesus put into our account. We'll talk more about how this works later on in the book of Romans, for sure. In other words, at the cross of Jesus Christ, a great trade happens. It's the fancy theological word is imputation. Christ takes my sin, but gives me his righteousness. And I've often taught imputation like this. Let's say you're going to be judged according to how clean you keep your white jacket. It's a absolutely, it's, it's, it's the most white thing you've ever seen. It's so, it's gleaming. And you start going through life and guess what? You start getting, I can't keep a white t-shirt clean for, for, for about an hour. There's no way. And it's just pretty soon I'm checking the oil and oh man, there's oil all over it, right? And your, your jacket gets very dirty. Your jacket is filthy by the end of your life. And you come over to the cross and at the cross, what Jesus did is he takes your jacket and he gives you his, It's called the Jesus jacket, right? And you're wearing the Jesus jacket. So guess what? You are going to be judged by deeds. You are gonna be judged by works. They're just not yours. And what's credited in your account is Christ's deed. You're gonna be judged on judgment day on the life of Jesus Christ. Christ took your sin and was already judged at the cross. It's what we call on the Iron Range where I'm from, Northern Minnesota, Northeastern Minnesota, a heck of a deal, right? Let me finish the Bono quote here. And yet along comes this idea called grace to upend all that as you reap, so you will sow stuff. Grace defies region and logic. Love interrupts, if you like, the consequences of your actions, which in my case is very good news indeed because I've done a lot of stupid stuff. I'd be in big trouble if karma was going to finally be my judge. I'd be in deep stuff. I'm going to edit that here for you. It's a family show. I'd be in deep stuff, right? It doesn't excuse my mistakes, but I'm holding out for grace. I'm holding out that Jesus took my sins onto the cross because I know who I am, and I hope I don't have to depend on my own religiosity. Yes, this passage is not only theoretically true, it is true. If you can live like that, you will, you will get eternal life. But guess what? None of us do. None of us actually do that. And the gospel is the opportunity to actually have our works swapped with Jesus, and, and we're going we're gonna to unpack that even more here in the book of Romans. But if not, maybe you're listening here and you're, you're, you haven't yet taken Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. It's as simple as, as ABC backwards to, 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 it, to, to come to Christ, is confess your sin, believe that the Lord Jesus is who he said he was, he's raised from the dead, that he died for your sin, that he was fully God and fully man. And ask him, accept him, open the door of your life and and let him in and say, I take you, Lord. But if you don't do that, if you want to go to the judgment day on your own, the passage says that we can expect the stored up wrath for us on the day of wrath and righteousness of the righteous judgment of God. Now, praise God, he spares us from all that for all who will do the swap? So if you haven't done the swap yet, I just encourage you, why not? What would stop you from doing that? Well, have a great week. We'll, we'll see you next week on Romans Untangled, where we look at how this worked for the Jewish person who had the Old Testament law, and then also for the person who wasn't a Jew or a non-Jew, or, or it's called a Gentile, who didn't have the law. Thanks for listening.